0: At the Swiftwick booth, they had a tattoo artist come in and, and they're like, hey, if you want to get this logo, we'll give you free socks. Welcome to Stand Up, Pedal
1: Action. In this episode, we talked to Nick Ponzer of Criterium Bicycles in Colorado Springs about trading tattoos for socks why physics and pixie bikes don't mix, and what happens when you try to off-the-couch a triathlon in Iceland. On this show, we are talking to a lot of people who spend their time in the saddle. But today, our guest is one of the guys who helps keep us on the bike. Today, we have in the studio Nick Ponzer of Criterium Bicycles here in Colorado Springs josh why don't you take it away with a little bit of an intro on today's guest
2: yeah i'd love to um first of all thank you for being with us uh it sounds like you are really well versed in the cycling and endurance community um so from what i've found okay you've you've yeah yeah we (laughs) we might have stalked you a little bit we'll see yeah i don't know how much of this is super accurate but uh I know that you've done at least 11 Ironmans, is that... Is uh, that
0: right? I, yeah, this year was a dozen. I did, a dozen? Did, yeah, you I had just, a dozen. just did one a couple of weeks ago. Oh my ago. gosh. Yeah, so.
2: Wow. Um, yeah. You've done some ultramarathons. you've done 24-hour racing. Uh-huh. You're a general endurance enthusiast, it seems like. Um, and I heard from uh, an inside source that you're also really good at tennis, ping pong and bowling, so, oh god yeah. yeah yeah that's that's nerdy, yeah sure <laughs> sure
0: yep yeah. what should, what should we expect from you if we end up at the bowling alley together are we um it's I'm a bit rusty, but I did used to bowl tournaments back in the day, nice. uh, my first job was actually working at a bowling alley, and so i uh yeah there was there was a moment back when i my league average is 220 you know Ooh. back in the day <laughs> many moons ago man that was right. college days <laughs> i was gonna say your arms are back to the same size now yeah, so yeah. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah had to lose the uh, upper body weight for the for the endurance sports right yeah there you <laughs> so, go, go. looking at one so big arm yeah yeah so
2: uh but i i heard that most recently you you just a win home at the Iceland extreme triathlon
0: that that's true yeah yeah, yeah last the uh, last month now yeah so July 10th yeah I raced in Iceland my wife and I went there for our 20th wedding anniversary actually mm. it was the main point of that trip but but uh they were holding this race which is on my bucket list you know yeah. four days before our anniversary and so I raced and uh went in definitely under did not expect to compete at all and then all of a sudden you know I was in the lead and I was like well this is different <laughs> <laughs> let's see what I can do with this and uh, try and strategize knowing that I was a little under trained I was like all right mm-hmm. I'll take a conservative the rest of the bike and if anyone catches me maybe I'll go with them and nobody caught me on the bike so um but a couple guys who beat me pretty badly at other races (laughs) they they caught me in second transition as i was like getting ready for this challenging run i mean it's a run with almost six thousand feet of gain you kind of have to climb over a volcano twice um on this dirt jeep road is what the run is in 27 miles um you have to do all that and uh (sighs) so i uh started the run with these guys just a few feet behind me and had to just win it in the run had to outrun them and uh and is I, that
1: a strength of yours normally like how does the
0: run rank me, amongst the three i actually started out as a runner before i was a cyclist so like mm. i started out running in in high school and then picked up um, cycling as a freshman in college and uh, and ultimately uh, so the running's not bad but i hadn't run more than 10 miles in a given run this year and i was like i was like oh shoot this is gonna be hard and uh but you felt good after that yeah i mean i i just tried to like make it look like i wasn't suffering to see if Mm -hmm. i could screw with them a little and and because that first ascent we had a 30 mile an hour headwind the whole way up that mountain and And I was just like, just smiling and trying to like, look, it was, it was more of a grimace and pain, but I was trying to make it look like a smile (laughs) and just trying to like go, all right, let's see if we can screw with their heads a little bit. And, and yeah, by the end, somehow these two guys who definitely are usually on paper should have whooped my, but they, uh, they, they definitely both, uh, I had 13 minutes on one of them and half an hour on the other by the end of the run, I think, which. I did not expect. And so it was, it was, yeah, it was a fun adventure.
2: <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah. It, it sounds like you, you've done quite a bit of the, the triathlon world. Yeah. I mean, not, not anybody could just jump into an extreme triathlon off, off the couch.
0: It's yeah, it was <laughs> uh, it's not a smart play. It's not the fun play, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not, it's not the comfortable way to do it. I mean, that, that race was the fourth time I swam all year was the day of the race and i was like this is this is probably not smart but i'm just gonna do it and you know enough years of piling miles on you kind of just have this base of strength i guess you could say that that like in pretty short order you can kind of get ready for something you Mm -hmm. know so nice (laughs) you did
1: hit on another theme though that we've been hearing from a lot of other guests which is oh i was here for my anniversary slash wedding slash honeymoon and shoehorned a triathlon or something into yeah. it.
3: Yes,
0: yeah, it was my wife's idea. You know, I know everyone's like, "Oh, bet his wife was thrilled," but yeah. no, it was her idea. She, because uh, wow. um, if I do with with what I do for work, I mean, like if I do a race while I'm somewhere, I can write some of the travel expense off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she was like, "Well, you know, the, I saw that this race is like four four days before." Our anniversary, yeah. and I was like, "As long as you give me permission, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna sign up for sure." so <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. That's excellent. Sounds as long so as you've cool. gotten gotten the pass, you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Control tower gave me the okay. So yep, there yeah. you go.
2: Yep. uh Well, we're, we're only part of the way through the introduction, so that's that's pretty pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got more to come. Got ways to go. Uh, so besides doing all those wild wild adventures, um, you're also the president of Criterion Bicycles here in Colorado Springs. Just kind of a uh the pivotal shop that's been around for a really long time in the springs the shop i grew up going to and has first been a shop. huge huge support
1: oh yeah first shop i went to when i moved here almost 20 years ago so yeah for both of us and many many other people if you say bike shop people think criterium
0: yeah yeah it's it's been an institution honestly like since you know, it was Open 73 by Kay and Chris, uh, who were the original owners of it and founders and, and started out downtown and obviously like, um, and Kay had control of it and owned it for 40 years, you know, I mean, she put in a lot of work into that place and I mean, historically, it's a significant shop nationwide. I mean, like Barnett's Bicycle Institute started in our shop in the 80s. It's one of only two mechanic schools in the nation. Um, uh, Kay was one of the founding members of the Specialized Bicycle Dealers Alliance back in the day, one of three um, who set up. It was sort of an agreement between Specialized Bicycles and their dealer base to kind of start. It was the first big company to like really set up like an agreement with their dealers where they weren't you know where they were on the same team and they were trying to figure out like how do we Mm -hmm. help each other out and so she was one of the people who laid the groundwork for that and set that all up i mean like it's been a really significant shop and so when i started there in 2004 um when i first moved here i started working there and and um and it was the first shop, I mean, I'd been working in the bike industry for years, but it was the first shop that I'd worked for that, you know, I could I would consider owning, you know, like because yeah. uh-huh. every other one I'd worked for, I was like, oh no way. There's yeah. you know, or um and and then in 06, I think it was, um Kay actually approached me and said, Hey, would you be interested in taking over when I'm ready to retire? And so so i said yeah you know i would and um and we sort of write wrote up a buy sell agreement you know where over the next let's see it was um seven years i accumulated some stock in the store mm-hmm. and then at the point where i owned like 49 percent it initiate or, or Sort of set in motion that I was required by that agreement to go get a loan to buy her out, you know, yeah. for the rest of the way. And so, so I bought her out in 2013, um, and since then, it, it, you know, it's been a learning experience for me. <laughs> I, yeah, I was not a business major in college. I didn't have a single business class, accounting class mm-hmm. that would have been helpful. But uh, a <laughs> lot of on the job, you know, learning. So, would you say you got what you bargained for more or less (laughs) Ooh, yeah i would say you know i it was more work than i thought it was going to be i mean Mm -hmm. the first couple years yeah i i mean i almost we got a divorce and stuff the first couple years i mean like i was at work seven days a week 13 hours a day for a couple of years straight. They're just trying to like, cause when I took over, I mean, we really were just like, just making it with the loan payments and everything. Like I was Mm -hmm. just, you know, and so, um, so I had to do all the payroll myself had to do all the benefits had to do sales on the floor, had to do all the ordering. Um, a lot of the receiving had to do like just all the things, all the bookkeeping, everything. And, And it was just, it was like 10 different jobs, you know, and had to do all the things. And, and then, um, uh, luckily, I mean, like we really, with all that work that I kind of laid that first couple of years, we started to grow and grow. And with that growth, it opened up the possibility to hire on some more people or get people to do those things. You know, I finally, after a few years, could use a payroll company to do payroll instead of, I mean, instead of me having to figure out all the math on that and like figure out and shop around for health insurance benefits for everyone and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like stuff that like I had no (laughs) business background to like do that. I just kind of had to jump in and like
1: figure it out. So, Because that is not a position that every bike shop in America is in right now that growth and moving forward and being able to expand. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, we're sort of the 1% of the bike shops right now, which is, I mean, a lot of bike shops experienced growth in 2020 due to like bike boom from COVID mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. But, um, but we actually grew more in 2019 as a percentage than we did in 2020. And oh, most wow. shops, <laughs> like there were shops that had been going down for years. And then in 2020 they were up, 50 percent or whatever right but i mean in 2019 we were up 27 percent before any of the bike boom you know that year over year and and actually from 2013 when i took over to now we do now three times what we did then annually you know in sales okay so
1: how if you had to package it up in a nutshell looking back
0: how (laughs) honestly i get to ask that a lot um and um it's it's a culmination of a lot of factors right i mean like um but i think it boils down to um having amazing people and holding on to them right like um it took a while to like find all the right people and figure out their strengths and where to place them to best utilize them and everything you know like and and get the team assembled, but but the people around you, like I don't know, I've I've heard that um, a good manager finds people smarter than them and gets out of their way, right? Like yeah. that's that, mm-hmm. and that's sort of how I think of things when I'm there. I'm trying to like get people figure out. All right, find good people, figure out their strengths, put them where they can be most utilized to their fullest potential and everything and and then you know I try and take care of everyone as well as I possibly can just to make sure that um I can retain them as yeah. for as long as possible you know like obviously I never want to hold anyone back from uh progressing and and their you know future plans and successes or whatever but um but I'm going to keep them around as long as I can yeah And we've had Caroline Bloom
1: on -hmm. the show here, um, and she highlighted a thing or one factor that might be different in your business than some others when it comes to employee retention, which is you've got racers. You've got people that say, hey, I've got to go train. I'm going to be out for a month or more because I'm on the other side of the world getting acclimatized. So how big a challenge is that for you as a business owner, having a schedule where people are just... (laughs) Maybe all over
0: the map, literally. Uh, It's it can be it can be a challenge, like um, because uh, you know, especially this the main selling season through the summer is when a lot of races happen, you know. (laughs) So people are like, you know, and and that's one of the things that. I used to always just cover all the shifts back in the day when it, mm-hmm. you know, when I first took over, cause we didn't have the bandwidth enough people where if like one person was out, we were like, Oh crap, we're man down, you know, yeah. like, and we're scrambling now I've, now I've got a staff of 31 people total, you know, in mm-hmm. the shop that if we're a uh, one person down or something on, on a given day or even two, like, we can manage it, you know, like, and, um, and so if, if one person like Caroline Manny, uh, was working for me for quite a while and she's a professional cyclocross racer, that was a little easier because it's winter sport kind of. <laughs> yeah. like that. So, so she would take like two solid months, two and a half months off in the winter completely. Cause she'd be traveling to Europe to race mm-hmm. and do all this stuff. And, and that was, That was actually kind of neat because then it was like oh sweet payroll goes down a little in the winter you know or whatever (laughs) because she's a you know but um it 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 definitely poses a challenge and that's the conundrum of the bike industry right like all of us love riding we love competing we love doing that type of thing but when we're really pinned and we're like need to be at work like Mm -hmm that's when all the races happen. that's when yeah. all the events happen and it's like and you know and a lot of times we're helping out at some of those events or doing things like that and it's like well we definitely don't have the ability and that's why like anymore i don't race that often like that's yeah. part of the reason i pick these like bucket list kind of races is like i i don't have the time to go leave for like Four or five weekends in Mm. a year, or anything like that. I I work every weekend. Yeah, it's like uh, I gotta pick and choose, and so I I, I've been trying to check those little things off the bucket list. You know,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: it sounds like that could also
2: be a pretty big sacrifice for for you and anyone who works in the shop to to say, hey, now I'm going to move into more of a support role to enable so many people to do these things that they really enjoy, and I i'm grateful for that (laughs) i really appreciate it yeah yeah. Uh, but hopefully you you do get to take some opportunity here and there it sounds like you are
0: i i am now like yeah like i said the first couple years i took over i i never was away from the play like it was there just was no way but so actually the trip to iceland was the longest vacation i've ever had it was 13 days off of work and i've i've never had that like in my life so like so um so that was fantastic and to be able to do that and like i didn't get a call from work at all like or anything which was rad you know yeah um i got a couple texts after they saw the results (laughs) they were like (laughs) like oh man you know but uh yeah. Yeah. I think the texts were like, oh, I guess you're not fired, you know, because <laughs> that, yeah, that's our running joke is like, yeah, you can go race, but if you don't win, you're fired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so we, uh, <clears throat> um, so it, it, it's good that I can finally take vacation, you know, which is cool. So I'm, I'm happy about it. So is my wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. And the shop was still there when you came back? Yeah. It didn't burn down. didn't blow up. It's pretty rad. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
2: Uh, well, I'd love to dive in a little bit on what your backstory is and like how you got to be where you are yeah, now. Yeah.
1: How did we get from bowling to
0: bicycles? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, I'm from San Diego, California. Okay. Originally I grew up there. Um, I went to college at a school in San Diego called Point Loma Nazarene University.
2: Uh, run a track meet there
0: okay yeah. yeah it's right That's on the nice beach track. it's beautiful yeah it overlooks distracted the ocean. yeah you come right on that back stretch like, <laughs> yeah oh. yeah you can ocean. see see the waves uh <laughs> so um so i went there um it's where i met my wife um and uh i actually studied sociology and criminal justice actually i was planning on going into federal law enforcement i was planning to go to law school and uh I started working in the bike business in san diego in college Um, Mm -hmm. i started working for a company mountain bike warehouse was the store i started out at worked for them for a while then um a summer after that i was a mountain biking instructor for a youth camp up in the santa cruz area scotts valley Mm -hmm. california for a summer where i had to build and maintain the fleet of bikes and then take the kids out and teach them how to ride and everything, how to mountain bike, and then uh, pretty cool job, you know? Any epic stories out of that, like kids going off cliffs into a tree, anything like anybody <laughs> <No>. get totally <laughs> tore up? No, I, I broke a helmet, but like, no, yeah, I, I just like was flying down, look back to check them and then look forward. And I was like, oops, and just flew off this embankment head first into the other side of it. And like, I was like, okay, all right, yeah, yeah I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not seeing double, I'm good, you know, like, like wow. you did back then before yep. concussions were Yeah, before we realized what those were. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I did that and then um, worked for REI in San Diego uh, in their bike department for a while. And then um, and I moved to Orange County um, and graduated, I should say, graduated from college, I moved and my wife and I were planning on moving to Orange County, live in a house mm-hmm. that her parents had owned since the 70s as like a rental or whatever. So, so, cause the plan was as a senior, I had applied to the Los Angeles Police Department cause they had the best training or whatever they need it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I, I applied there and uh, plan was I was gonna start the academy that summer right after we got married and then you know go into that and we'd i'd live in orange county commute up to Mm -hmm. um so i go in through this process you know it's a multi-layer process if you've met law enforcement is one of those anyway pass all the tests pass the background investigation all the things like and they're like basically they're like you're hired we just need you to come up do a psych eval and a medical physical and then once that's done, then you just have to, we tell you when to show up, you know, for the academy. Well, I go up and filling in the uh, psych uh, tests and they call me back for like medical tests one at a time or whatever. And then, well, they gave me the wrong instructions on a color vision test. I failed it. And what? I didn't know that it was the wrong instructions. They, I, I didn't quite understand what she was saying. Like this, this nurse or whatever that was giving me the... And I was like, "Wait a second, like that doesn't make sense." And she's like, "No, just go dark to light on this thing." And th- but there's different shades and stuff. And I was like, "That doesn't, that doesn't make." And when it's supposed to go, like you're supposed to start with one shade of like it's like a purple, uh-huh. and then move towards like through into brown and whatever. And so I was like, "Dark to light, okay, darkest of each one." Just failed it like miserably, and so I was out. Like, and this was two months before I'm going to get married. And the process takes like eight months, right? Like, yeah, and I was like, two months before I'm going to get married, I was like I was scrambling, and since I'd been working in bike biz, I just went up to Orange County, gave my resume to a few different shops up there, got a job offer, so I at least had a job for when I yeah. got back from my honeymoon, mm. got back, started um, two days after my honeymoon, like oh, started at this shop, um, and within a month, like the manager's shop quit and it was part of a three store chain. So now I'm managing the store, you know, and then, you know, I'm at least get a raise enough that like, we can kind of make it, you know, like yeah. sort of. Um, but, uh, yeah. So what was going
1: through your head at that point? Like, are you excited at all about the future in bikes? Or is this like,
0: I am not supposed to be here. It was, it was pretty life shattering. Like, at least in your head, like all these things you were like learning in school and all this time you spent to get this piece of paper, this degree, Mm -hmm. just down the toilet is what's going through my head. I was like, well, that disqualifies me for all of this. Like, I can't, like, if I am really like colorblind, like, I can't, I can't do this. And so I'm just scrambling at that point. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so Mm -hmm. uh, it was more of just like, I need something because i gotta pay for food and stuff you know like and so so i i um started working there and um and after a couple years um i finally decided i'm gonna go to an optometrist and i'm just gonna see like if Mm -hmm. this is even a possibility still or whatever and i feel bad for that optometrist because when she gave me the same test but different instructions I was like you are shitting. Me. I was like <laughs> I, I was almost like pissed at her. It, she probably thought I was pissed at her and I was like I was like oh and just went through and just and aced it. Yeah. And I was and I was like oh, you know and and so so at that point like that shop that I had been working for um they really kind of took advantage of the fact that I was willing to work hard and mm-hmm. so I was on salary and working 100 hour weeks and doing and no comp time, no overtime, just like they were kind of taking advantage and I was over it. And so I started applying for police departments again. And the funny thing is, I mean, just it wasn't the colorblind thing. It was just there was always something that came up. Like I actually got hired by Colorado Springs while I was in Orange County. I flew out here three times to take tests. Mm hmm passed everything like everything everything lie detector test the psych ul all the things and they were like you're hired and i was like cool all right they're like you're gonna get a letter in three weeks telling you like when to show up to the i was like okay cool yeah i got a letter in two weeks that said our funding fell through you'll have to reapply oh (laughs) no and i had spent like two thousand dollars in flights to get out there and everything and i just and and they were just like sorry and I was like, what? And so it was just these weird, just like twists of fate that kept like keeping me out of that. And the whole time I was working in bikes, I mean, like mm-hmm. after working for that shop and getting fed up with them after a while, like I moved to a company called Supergo that used to exist back in the day. I don't know if you guys are back in the day, they were a big mail order chain that was, they sent out catalogs all over the nation, but they had like, eight stores in the Southwest, you know, mm-hmm. and um, huge stores. The one I, I ran the service department for this one, that was 25,000 square feet. It was, oh, wow. I mean, enormous yeah. and massive. massive. And, uh, and so I worked for them. And then and then while we were working there, um, I applied to Shimano in Irvine yeah. there, because their headquarters in the US was like, I don't know, eight miles from my house, you know? Oh, wow. And I was yeah. like, all right, cool. right to work. So. I applied they offered me the job and uh and i told them i was like all right i got to talk to my wife about it so i'll give you an answer tomorrow and uh went home and we had dinner my wife and i We went to a restaurant and talked about it and i was going to take the job with shimana the next morning my in-laws called at 6 30 in the morning and said we're selling the house We were living in, like, and we're like, oh, oh no, like, because that I mean, it's like it at that time was they were selling in 24 hours, and yeah, Mm -hmm. and we're like, oh, okay, so so we were scrambling, got on the internet, we're like looking, Mm -hmm. and we couldn't afford anything like out there, and and because yeah, it it was it's absurd out there, and Mm -hmm. so I called up Shimano, turned it down and rented a truck and we moved to Colorado. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> like, Whoa. like, honestly, like that's this that's the events, how they happen. Like just that same day, I rented a truck and started loading it up and just, we moved and I called up Supergo where I was working and was like, I'm out. And we moved. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. So, so that's how I ended up in the bike biz instead of going, the road i thought i was gonna go you mm. know and it's mm. i mean life throws you curveballs you just gotta go yeah. with it <laughs> oh
1: so when you packed that
0: truck why colorado the in-laws had moved here right around the time we got married in 2001 mm-hmm. um and they were like well we feel bad about kicking you out of the house <laughs> so if you want to move here you know we'd been out a few times to visit and mm-hmm. stuff, and And they're like, if you want to um, move out here, you can kind of stay in our basement until you find a place, you know, and then get, it'll help make it easier to get settled or whatever. And honestly, my wife was kind of sick of California because she had a teaching credential out there, couldn't find a job at all. Because right before she got her credential, they rescinded a law on class size limitations and fired tons of teachers. And so there's all sorts of qualified candidates and no jobs, right? so. So that was holding us back there also in terms of I mean, she got here and within three weeks she had a teaching job at District Eleven. Oh, I mean that's like awesome. so and so it's just one of those things we we're like, and it's way more affordable. At least back then it was way more affordable, like ridiculous. Yeah. Um um so so we we're like, Hey, we gotta do something or we're gonna be just spinning our wheels forever in, mm-hmm. in California. So so yeah, so that's how I ended up here. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh,
2: And did you did you find yourself at Criterion right away?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually before like when I was oddly enough, when I was applying and coming out here, to I had gone and visited a bunch of the bike shops and I had met Kay and talked with her for a bit and she was she was like well when you get your police job you know out here if you want to work part-time for us you know like and you know still stay and she's like just come out so so i just contacted them and was like hey as it turns out i'm heading your way and i don't have a job yet you know and yeah. they're like sure so wow. so um so again like i said 13 days off of work was the longest I've ever like i there was about four days of packing up and a day of driving and then i started two days after that <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Wow. yeah yeah so i <laughs> i got here kind of like threw all the stuff in a storage unit and like went to work the next day you know it's just like i mean it was yeah 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 i just don't yeah um just used to working all the time <laughs>
2: At, at what point did you start competing on the side
0: that... um you know i i started as a runner in high school um didn't run a race in high school i didn't run on the cross country team i just ran to run like i was on the tennis team i was on the lacrosse team whatever i'm i just ran for fitness um all through college ran every day um picked up mountain biking started mountain biking in college i started racing i did one of the guys i worked with at rei was a big road racer and he was like you should come out we're having a cyclocross race i was like what's that yeah and he's like just come out and i was like okay and showed up and they had an a b and c class and it was like a was the one twos b was Mm -hmm. three fours and and uh and i asked him i'm like what should i race and he was like just go bees. Go bees. You know, like three fours, sure. You've you've never raced, but go go. I was like, all right. So I jump in and and uh I take a flyer off the front and <laughs> and of course like come around this corner and just eat it. I mean, I darn near sanded a nipple off, I think, like sliding oh. <laughs> on my chest and I and I grabbed my bike and just roll off the trail and everybody passed me. And I was like, oh, and I just spent the rest of the race just chasing people down and had no idea where I was in the race or whatever in terms of, and I finish and they're like, you got fifth. And I was like, really? You know? And I was like, oh, okay, oh. you know, and yeah. I got some socks and whatever, you know, yeah. like had these <laughs> little prizes. Or whatever. And I was like, okay. So, so they had another one, like, I don't know three weeks after that or something and uh same mo just fly off the front just just catapult Mm -hmm. off the front but this time i'm out in front uh it was like started in the velodrome in san diego and kind of went out into florida canyon there and seven laps of this like sort of mountain bikey kind of course and then back for two laps of the velodrome to finish and I didn't get past until six laps of the dirt was done. And one guy came by me and, and then one more guy, just as we're getting into the Velodrome past me. And, and so I got third in that race in the bees and I was like, well, this is cool. You know, I like racing, you know, it's, yeah. it's uh, and, uh, and then started doing some mountain bike racing, did, um, decently well. So it sounds like. At least early on, this was
1: just pure brute force. There was no oh. strategy, no <laughs> pacing None just,
0: whatsoever. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's I was strong. Like, and and the funny thing is, like, I had run for so long. Like, and when I say run, like, literally every single day I would run. Yeah. And I started out when I was in high school. Just you wanted to be fit, so like, so I was running like one mile every single day, and then it turned into two, and then three, and by the time I got to college, I was running eight to 10 miles every day. And I was running at like 6.15 pace. It oh, wasn't wow. like I was like jogging. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, yeah, I just naturally had built up this big base of strength because I ran every day. And I just kept yeah. going a little further or a little faster or both, you know, and, but I had never raced. I didn't have yeah. any idea. And then I started biking. I got a mountain bike. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I used my... Graduation money, some of that to buy a mountain bike, and there's a buddy of mine had ridden across the country with, uh, you know, on his mountain bike, and what he, was that bike? Do you remember? It was a Schwinn Mesa. Ooh. It was not an awesome bike, but it was <laughs> what I could afford, and I was, and and so my buddy took me out, and I had a good engine. I just had no skill set for it, and yep. and so I started, and and the, the the strengths a little different, you know. Obviously, running to biking, so it took me a little while so he was beating up on me pretty good at the first bit and then after I started riding I started getting stronger and stronger and all of a sudden I'm putting the wood to him pretty bad Mm -hmm. and then I'm like oh well I'm I'm getting better at this and then I just started jumping into races there was literally one time I was riding just riding out riding in Mission Trails and I was towards the end of a ride and they were just starting this mountain bike race and I just kind of jumped in and just out sprinted everyone up this big climb, you know, like and 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 didn't, you know, total yeah. clandestine, no number plate, nothing, just out, just <laughs> just going, just these guy. people going up <laughs> yeah. up the hill, and of course, they're all killing themselves. And then the joke was on them when I turned left and they have to go, right. <laughs> like,
3: see you guys, yeah, you know,
0: and just it was, uh, you know, so, uh, so I, I mean, I was I had built up pretty good strength and endurance and stuff, um, but. The first running race I ever did was when I was a senior in college. I ran the San Diego Marathon and mm-hmm. I hadn't run a 5k, I hadn't run a 10k. I just figured, "Oh, ah, I'll run a marathon." Yeah, and sure. Sure, why not? And so, so yeah, so <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> It's kind
1: of it, how I do you think that's pretty much the most common response on the show so far? Literally almost everybody that we've interviewed when we say, what was your starting race?" and You're like, well, there's this 50 miler yeah. or like Caroline, yeah. like, oh, well, I couldn't do a
0: 5k. So I decided to do an Ultraman. Yeah. Like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Talk me through yeah. that yeah. logic. But, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, I've always thought if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly bear, right? Like, don't oh, just like, go, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm dipping a toe in. It's like, cool. no, I'm going to swing for the fence. You know, I'm going to yeah. go for it. So, yeah. I like that.
2: Be a bear be a grizzly bear.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh. So
1: when it comes to racing though, I've got a question. And the question is two
0: words. Pixie bike? Ooh. I that is not my cup of tea. I've done it. (laughs) Like like, we came across this looking up stuff on you, so I didn't know what your involvement here was. So, um, So for many years here in the springs. It was sort of started by John Hurley, who works at the shop. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they started the Pixie Repack downhill race, which you're riding 16 inch wheel kids bikes that are modified <laughs> so that you can actually ride them. Yeah, ish, ish. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you truck up to like High Drive to where Jax crosses High Drive up there, mm-hmm. and you bomb High Drive. And then you get on Twenty Sixth Street, and you come down the switchback, and you end at Bot Park, basically. And oh so gosh. you're just hauling ass on this sixteen. And and the physics of small wheels. Let's <laughs> let's start there. Let's go science with this. Uh, yeah, you hit the smallest rock or you know hole or anything, and you're going out the front. Like yeah. I mean, it is stopping. Like it. You can't go over hardly a pebble without like, and so it is sketchy. And all I'm thinking is death wobbles. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to be legal for this race, it can only have a coaster break. You what? cannot have a handbrake. So, so if you want to break you are really out of control now like because you're just the rear end just is is snaking back and forth and you're like oh man you're about to yeah it's bad so so i yeah i did it one time like i i i was suited up i, I put on full shoulder pads like full face helmet like i yeah. was i was like i i know what this is gonna look like and uh <laughs> I did not do well, but <laughs> some of the people, honestly, there are some dudes who can ride those things. like Hurley is really fast, A guy named Dallas here in town. he's super fast, Andreas, who used to work for us. Uh, mm-hmm. He really fast. I mean, some of those dudes have no fear, and they just can haul on those things, like me? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, way. no way. I'll stick with the like long suffering hours of any kind of race over over that yeah. sketchiness. <laughs> so we're not gonna be seeing that on the Olympic circuit no. next time around. No. Okay. No. No. It's uh it's yeah that is unique to the springs i think is pixie racing for sure so they (laughs) they also have done the cannonball run which is where they start at palmer lake and race to downtown on those which that's a haul that's a long way yeah and they have to like do certain things along the way like capture photos of themselves doing certain things it's like a it's almost like a scavenger hunt in a race but that's a long way on a 16 inch yeah Uh, yeah are you allowed to re-gear the bike yes okay yes I mean, but, there's only so much you can do with a 16 inch wheel though yeah <laughs> the cog's yeah. gonna be bigger than a wheel yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your knees will never forgive you after something like that you know it's one of the yeah no but, <laughs> well, okay
2: <laughs> uh well i i heard another fun fact about you that uh mm-hmm. that you don't eat sugar is
0: it i don't it it was um it was sort of a conscious decision a few years ago I think I started that in what 2016 or 17. Um, I was just finding that like my energy levels were all over the map and I um, and I would get drowsy like shoot just driving to Denver I would start like having a hard time like staying awake and stuff because as an athlete when you're training all the time racing whatever you know when you're doing a lot of physical activity you just think "Oh, i can eat whatever i want and and so i decided you know i i should probably watch my sugar intake and then i was just like you know what screw it i'll just not eat it like i'll and honestly it's been great it like Prior to doing that, my right ankle, I was starting to get like some um, arthritis type symptoms in my right ankle. Those all went away after ceasing to eat sugar. Like the drowsiness while driving or even in midday kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. Like, Mm Like in, I think 2017, I drove with my buddy Paul to Oklahoma City to do a race and if you've ever driven from to oklahoma city from here it's about as boring a drive as you can have yeah it is like north texas and oklahoma are like not the places you go for scenery and uh and i drove the whole way back never got drowsy once you know and that and i was like wow okay there's something to this and and honestly it's just helped keep me just generally healthier. I mean like I I feel a lot better. I have a lot more um like sustained, like even sort of energy level. I'm not like I don't get hangry and stuff like that typically.
1: <laughs> so what is so, you know, training for a particular race or particular event is one thing. But they're, you know, not everybody's twenty two anymore. Like none of us are. And as you are, you know, working through your life, your career, what does that look like for you now? Like sugar being, you know, cutting sugar, being a part of it, but overall, like, has there been any other things that you've said? All right. Well, as I look ahead, this is what I've got to do to be able to compete and perform the way I want. Um,
0: I'm having a stretch now, you know, <laughs> <So> <laughs> now, you know, in your forties, it's, it's, uh, stretching is a thing um yeah. i never did before it, it was not one of those things i consciously like thought about and now it's like oh man and and now i know what glucosamine is and things like that. you yeah. know like it's like yeah. wow never had to think about any of this stuff before but yeah um and um you you really have to plan it out a lot more um when you have so many things so many irons in the fire so many things going on i mean Um, outside of the shop, like I'm on the board of directors for kids on bikes and Mm -hmm. I work with district 11 on their continuing technical education program for bike mechanics and outdoor rec. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, I've been talking with some guys down in Trinidad about putting together a bike shop down there. And I mean, there's, there's, I, I'm also on the specialized bicycles retail advisory board, and there's just, I have all these irons in the fire and then I have a son who's about to turn 14 Mm. and he's you know got activities and things that he does and then you know um it's one of those things I I have a lot of stuff on my plate and so like I really have to be intentional about planning things out like okay I have to plan for where the workout's gonna fit in somewhere and so sometimes my workout like some days I will run by foot to work mm-hmm. and then after work run home and so my commute is now what 12 miles of running six each way or whatever you know and and things like that where it's like okay i gotta fit it in somewhere and i'm gonna squeeze it in where i can um definitely recovery times another one as yeah as i am getting older like uh stacking one day on top of another on top of another i just like it's there's it's really hard to come back and bounce back that quick yeah. anymore, <laughs> you know? So, so I have to be conscious about that as well. And avoiding gardening. We were talking about that yeah. before the show. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> stay in your sport. Yeah, any weird things like that, you know, cause, <laughs> cause yeah, my back is, uh, you know, another thing that like, um, that has given me some fits in the recent couple of years. And I've had to be real conscious about that, you know? Yeah. So. So if you had,
1: if you had any advice to give, to other people to say like how do you or to other people who are trying to figure out how to compress that training volume what's like the one big lesson that you've learned
0: um quality over quantity all the time like because i mean um leading up to this race in iceland for an example again i didn't run more than 10 miles in any given run before Mm -hmm. this 27 mile run um I hadn't ridden more than 95 miles, and that bike was 115, I think, um, total. And I had only swam three times before this race yeah. all year, and that was my year. And and it was, but every bike ride that I did, I did a lot of it on my trainer in mm-hmm. the basement, like pushing really hard, like doing tempo stuff. A lot of the runs were at tempo pace, you know, like it's instead of just throwing miles out there and just twiddling along, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, if I've, if I've got just a little bit of time, I'm going to make it count and I'm going to push hard. Um, you know, there's, uh, one of the best age group triathletes in the world is like the CEO of this, some big company. I forget what it is. Um, and his name escapes me right now. So sorry about that. But, uh, <laughs> no but ultimately he wrote, um, this book about like how he trains and and he he only trains i think 10 hours a week but he it's all quality i mean like wow. he's just killing it every workout and they're all very intentional you know <sighs> and sometimes i'll throw in a workout where it's like i just need to clear my head and so i'm just yeah. going to go run some miles just cuz i got stuff to process but like but most of it it's like all right got a little bit of time i'm going to make it count
2: yeah. yeah is that also an outlet for you
0: always has been yeah. yeah absolutely riding and running are both things that that's sort of what got me addicted to them early on you know was like this is my thinking time this is where i process things like all through college like i'd i'd think through what i was going to write for a paper or something in my head while i was on the track running you know like i would spend a lot of miles running on that track just to just to kind of since it was mindless when you're on a track it's you're not having to like think of where am i navigating to it's just like you could just think through like your work for the next day or whatever you know so
1: yeah so moving from you as a cyclist to the community of cycling that was one thing i was struck by again listening to that that other interview that you had done um this idea that cycling isn't just a thing that you do to escape, but there's a value in building the community. And it sounds like for you, that goes beyond just you as a businessman. It's not just the self-interest of saying, well, hey, if there's a cycling community, people buy bikes. It's much bigger than that. Right. So what was that like for you? Like, where did that come from?
0: Um, for me, it's been... Um, through the shop you get to know a lot of the cyclists right and and just people in general you get to know a lot of people and and for me I've always felt like um they're who we're there for right mm-hmm. and we are part of the community and we can't be separate from it like we can't just sort of be located in the community we have to be we are part of it like we are all members of that community and like and as such if we want change or improvements in cycling infrastructure or in access to things or we want more people joining in so that it helps with building more of that it then we need to be the first person to jump in and and start doing that right like so we need to make things happen in that direction and so so we really want to just um do whatever we can to um help as many people have access to bikes as possible and that's you know why I've been working with kids on bikes you know Mm -hmm. over the years and um and we started the bike clinic many years ago which is the free bike shop where working poor and homeless and stuff who need bikes for transportation where they can get bikes fixed up or or acquire bikes and stuff yeah um we started that many years ago and we still fund that um we um so we want access to bikes um for people certainly um we also want trails and places to ride and so we work um and try and support medicine wheel um rimphy rocky mountain field institute trails and open space coalition you know um over the years we've done what we can in terms of donating to those causes and helping them whenever we can with events or whatever just to try and like make sure that um we have places to ride and they're upkept and their new places are built um and you know the um and and if we don't have places to ride, all of us who love to ride, can't ride. Yeah. And, and then that just sort of chokes off the community and, and no one wants to ride anymore because there's nowhere good to ride. Yeah. So like that, if we're not thinking in that direction, it's, you know, we're, we're not going to want to live here and recreate here. Um, yeah. and so not even in, from a business perspective, like, Hey, we, we won't be able to sell bikes. It's just right, right. I won't have a place to drive that sucks you <laughs> yeah. know? like so so I um uh, so yeah we're we're just trying to like do what we can to to support all of those and you know the last couple of years because we've experienced some really big growth and and last year especially we really like with the boom of mm-hmm. cycling that happened with with uh lockdowns and stuff like that um we haven't really needed to advertise much you know like um and so i've been redirecting all of the funds that would normally go to advertising to instead go to these organizations like so because um because we haven't had to drum up any demand you know (laughs) honestly it's we have more than we can take care of because of the shortage of bikes and stuff right now but but we, yeah. um, but I just you know I I found it was ridiculous and fruitless to like spend money on that stuff. So we just mm-hmm. were like, all right, we're just gonna spend that money. Like, so, um, so coming up here with the Indie give campaign coming up, we're gonna be giving away some money to some of these groups and l- where it can be matched and all that stuff, which is gonna be fun again. You yeah. know, for, um, so, um and uh yeah in wherever it's possible to help we're trying to you know we had an eagle scout who can't approach me it was awesome i mean like he brought in like this little proposal like he wanted to put like a work stand with little tools like out on the trail there yeah um for his eagle scout project and he was brought that in as a proposal for us to like help him with it and and he was you know very genuine and like and I was like, sure. And I just ordered one and, and then called him when it came in and was like, here it is, go put it in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, um, and like at the new red Lake facility, I bought the bike racks for that, you know, like, and paid yeah. for those and ordered those and stuff. Um, cause we'll be lo- we'll have a location there too, like for just for renting, like as soon as they get the construction done. Oh, all nice. For yeah. That. Um, but but ultimately, you know, like, again, wherever we can help and make things, make it easier to bike places, make it more accessible, make whatever we can do, that that just is good for everyone here. Because the more people we have on bikes, more people who are going to vote for trails expansion, yeah. more people who are going to, um, you know, help on dig days and stuff like that, where they're actually doing trail maintenance or trail cleanup or whatever. The more people we can get, you know, in this community and build it up, the better, you know, for everyone yeah. who, who uses all this, these things, the trails and the bike paths. So to go from how you guys can be
1: involved in the community, I've got a bit of an interesting question where we're going to turn that. Now I've been in your shop any number of times, usually coming in pretty helpless with a broken part or something that doesn't fit. Um, and I've seen one particular kind of customer, which is the people who admittedly know nothing about their bike they don't want to know anything about their bike it's just here please fix make better yes. you know and for those you know the 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 second you get them on a bike ideally they're going to be a customer for life there are also those of us who are not in that camp who've learned a bit about a bike learned a bit about our own bike maintenance and we're in the group where if economics were the only thing that mattered we'd be out shopping on the internet right, right. because you can get almost anything as cheap anywhere you want you know, in a world where there's any number of online retailers. So here's the question. As a consumer, what is the best thing that I can do for you as a retailer? Like where, what should I be buying from you other than everything? But I mean, (laughs) what are the high value ways that I can, because nobody's made of money. If I've got to maximize my dollar, how can I still make sure I'm doing that with you in the equation as
0: a bike shop? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple things there, like first, um, realizing, um, the, well, first off, um, let's start with like consumable items, things you probably wouldn't buy on the internet interway, chain lube, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those are generally higher margin items for a shop. You know, like, that's where, um, you know, bikes aren't a particularly high margin item. They're high, high dollar. I mean, like they account for a lot of margin dollars, but Mm -hmm. the percentage is not super high. Um, service work, if, if there is service work, that those labor dollars are, are good in the sort of economics of the, Mm -hmm. of the shop. Um, but, um, but I think what some consumers, especially lately with all the shortages and stuff of of parts components bikes, where a lot of those big internet storehouses that previously had gone and bought OEM parts yep. at like pennies on the dollar and were repackaging them and selling them on the internet cheaply or whatever, those have sort of gone by the wayside right now or, or they're out of stock on a lot of stuff. Um, um what I think a lot of people are starting to realize at least we're seeing it a little bit is um the value of like the knowledge or support behind the purchase that that comes when we can because oftentimes we'll get people who they need a bottom bracket for their bike and they buy one on the internet and then they are like this doesn't fit and it's like yeah it doesn't because you have a different standard on your frame mm-hmm. and here here's the one you really need and um not having to constantly purchase and return and purchase and return stuff and 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 then we get some direct to consumer bikes that when they come out of the box the trailer hangers all bent and all this stuff and they call the brand and can't get a hold of someone and all these things and it's like when you that's what we're there for, for the mm-hmm. brands that we carry. Like for specialized, they don't want to deal with direct consumer questions as much as they can avoid it. You know, they want yeah. us to be able to assemble the bike, make sure everything's good out of the box. Cause, you know, FedEx and UPS and those kind of places tend to not always take, you know, the most white glove care of like the, the boxes, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and uh and so they want someone to kind of check it out make sure everything's good to go make sure that that Mm -hmm. end consumer has the best possible experience on that bike because it is set up well and it and and there's not a bunch of damage or anything out of the box and um and also we can help to walk the consumer through like how do you set up suspension how do you how do you shift properly so that you're not going to break a chain on your first ride or something like that and yeah. things of that nature and and you know um obviously we're all consumers we get it you know like yeah and unlike a lot of shops we try not to like we we're not gonna give you the stink eye when you're <laughs> bringing like a part that you purchased online or something it's and and want us to install it i mean it's like i'm happy to take the to yeah. l- some labor dollars rather than the small margin on like a part or something right. like that like i it's fine you know so um and at the end of the day i mean everyone makes mistakes right like a- along the way like and and we do that as well but you know just um we're always going to do our best to try and make sure people are off their bike as short a period of time as possible that we're trying to turn around service stuff as quick as we can and that we get them the stuff that actually is going to work well for what they need right like and we're going to try and like we're not there to sell you something just to sell you something because i i couldn't care less about just selling stuff i yeah i want to we're there to make cyclists not sell product right like it's there to like i want to inform this person get them to understand the sport the equipment how it all comes together what they need that's going to make that experience better so that so that they just love it and they get addicted to it you know yeah sort of the the drug pusher if you will. <laughs> yeah. Except
1: the first one isn't free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> first yeah, one exactly. can sometimes be very expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> True, true. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, I'll just say that for what it's worth as a consumer, I can definitely speak to everything you just said, because one example, I mean, not only did I buy the first mountain bike I ever bought in Colorado was a specialized, an old stump jumper from Criterium uh, a million years ago, but the most recent bike I've brought into you guys was literally just, I bought one of those Chinese carbon hardtail sure. frames, tried to find the most legit looking sure. version I could. And of course I came in and probably bought a couple hundred dollars worth of parts off of you guys. Sure. Cause I'm like, all right, I have no bottom bracket. I have no crown race. Like I got I got nothing. Yeah. yeah, I have a bin of parts of my own that I can put on this, but none of the parts are going to make that happen. And your service department was fantastic in that. The guys were like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. You need this awesome. and this and this, and here you go. Yeah, and otherwise that project would have been dead in the water. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You know, um, honestly, like right now, um, I I gambled hard last year because early on in the lockdowns, I knew stuff was going to get scarce, mm-hmm. and I just said, I went to Alex and Ryan, who were my buyers, and I just kind of said, you know, whatever you were thinking, man, just multiply it by ten. Let's just buy. crap out of stuff like i won't i we can't be out of it we can't be out in the middle of the summer next year we can't not have like brake pads or chains or Mm -hmm. cassettes or whatever like all those items we have to have and we really doubled down i mean like and put in massive orders um and uh and right now i have people who are coming in they're like, I can't believe you have this brake pad. Chain Reaction Cycles doesn't even have this brake pad and it's like, I know. And I have a bin of them in the back (laughs) (laughs) because I ordered heavy. But the good thing is it hasn't held up repairs. I mean, there have been a few items, especially for like older stuff, like seven speed freewheels and stuff where we we were out of stock for a while. Like there were definitely some of the weird, like kind of fringe things that are older that we're out of from time to time but a lot of the main stuff the disc brake pads the chains of all different speeds and varieties and and whatnot we we had those you know the whole time which Mm -hmm. has been just what has kept us going you know full bore through this year because a lot of other stores are really struggling with that right now so so I mean it was a gamble because I mean, this w- happened and you know, we started ordering really heavy in like March and April of last year, which I mean, end of March, we closed for four days when they first issued the lockdown. And I was doing math at home. <laughs> like, how long can we be closed before I lose my house and everything? Hmm. Let's oh, see. You know, that's, bad math that is not fun math because no. you're just like all right this costs how much to run each? and it was an interesting exercise because i'd never sit, sat there and broke down like how much does this place cost to run you know from a overhead standpoint and yeah. it's it's pretty it's a lot of money <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's something that you're like wow okay all right so we got to do a lot of business you know like and yes it's, it's so so it's, I mean, um, but, uh, thankfully like, you know, we, we made it through. So, yeah.
2: Well, the way you responded to COVID was really impressive as well. I you know, oh. it came by a couple of times when like you had a whole setup in the front and you know, you're taking like one person back at a time or trying to address issues right, right in front of the store, and being really careful. It was,
0: It was, you know, we had to, we had to be careful and take the high road and try and be, like conscientious and do the right thing it was not fun I mean it was really not fun um everyone was at their wits end by the end of last year because um for six months there we couldn't let any customers in the store at all and with the volume of customers we get and especially Mm -hmm. with the sort of spike in demand Mm -hmm. that's a lot of people that you have to try and help without without letting them in and when you have to curate every sale of every like inner tube everything like that's a lot of running back and forth like on average somewhere around 16 miles a day for each of us just in and out of the store that whole time Whoa. and we couldn't have our full staff either because right. they were like, you can't have more than 10 people in a building. Well, I was like, I only have 18 people working a day at least, you know? And it's like, so we had half our staff had to deal with more demand than ever. We're running in and out like madmen. Like if someone, heaven forbid, someone wanted like gloves, you're like, oh. <laughs> you run in and grab like 10 different styles of gloves. You run back out, you hand them to them. And they're like, oh, I like this one. Do you have it in blue? Okay. You run back in, you run back out. No, oh, you know, or yes. Yeah. And here it is. And. And then you run back in to do the transaction back out. And so like every sale was just like, and it was, it was not fun. And, and initially we got such an influx of service bikes for us to work on. I mean, we were checking in 70 bikes a day, 70, 70, like seven zero. And and we got to where we had no space left in the building. And we have a pretty big mm-hmm. building, but mm-hmm. we had them on the floor because since customers couldn't come in anyway, like to shop, like we had them stacked in the floor everywhere. Like, I mean, and we were just running out of space and we were like, oh my God, I don't know how we're going to do that. Like, I yeah. mean, it was just, it was so hectic. And I mean, all of us aged, I think 10 years last year, <laughs> just because of that, like just hectic, hectic environment. And, and then, And now actually, I guess now it's nice because we've seen worst case scenario in terms (laughs) of how how operationally we would have to, and now it seems super easy. I mean, we're still selling a lot of stuff and we're still handling a lot of bikes, but because we have a full staff and people can actually come in the store and they can self shop Mm -hmm. instead of having to like, you know, help them running in and out for every single thing. like it's it seems super easy now which is like cool but um yeah. but yeah last year was that was not fun it was pretty rough i think we all have a little bit of ptsd after last year like going into this year everyone was freaking out when the season was about to start to like oh my god we can't do this it yeah. was like calm down it'll be much better and now that we're well into the season it's like oh yeah this is this is cake you know versus yeah. what it was like last year so So, looking ahead,
1: something like $4 billion of bicycles were sold in America between January and October of 2020, depending on the numbers you look for. There's a lot of people who are wondering okay, great boom. How do we keep it from going
0: bust? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is, that's where the magic lies, right? Like, so it's the best thing that we can do as a shop to keep the boom going is to grab hold of all those new riders and help them plug in somewhere whether that's a gl- group club some kind of group rides whatever it is mm-hmm. get them on their bike often and to remind them that what good stress relief and exercise and fun it is and all that and um, and teach them about their bike and so that they know how to fix a flat and they you know yeah. do all those things to kind of keep reconnecting with them and help them to understand their equipment and what equipment might make the experience better all that kind of stuff as well as getting them involved in something whether it's volunteering at kids on bikes or you know Mm -hmm. I've tried to point a few people in that direction um whether it's um going and doing trail maintenance or whether it's group rides or you know something because there's all kinds of opportunities you know there's um um the rides like from pedals and pints rides and stuff Mm -hmm. they kind of go from brewery to brewery to the You know, the group mountain bike rides that trails in tap room. There's uh, the pop cycle rides that um, family rides that, I mean, there's all kinds of different levels and styles of rides to get into and and to go ride, or we encourage them to start their own. Like if they're in a a member of uh, some organization or group or church or whatever, you know, and they want to start their own club or group that rides together. Cool. Yeah. Do that because it, it's a social sport, like, I mean, as much as a lot of us ride solo missions a lot, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, it's, a, it's a social sport because you're gonna go do a ride and then you're gonna go share it on Strava or you're gonna go talk with your buddies about it over beers or whatever, you know, and, mm. and it's, it's gonna be, you know, it's a social thing. So you kind of have to, you know, connect them with some other people, so.
2: What are some good ways that you've found to to do that? I mean, you listed off a lot of a lot of great areas where it can be done, but say yeah. someone is just getting into writing and doesn't quite know how to connect to these different organizations.
0: Um, I usually start with sort of finding out as much information about that person as possible to see where they would best sort of connect, right? Like, because not only who they are currently, but where they want to go with that if they have any goals or whether it's just like hey i just want a different activity than what i've been doing i've been doing gym work or whatever and i just want to change it up and then from there i find out kind of where in town are you like are you on the north side south side you know just trying to like narrow down and then from there then it's like well this group or that group or the other one might be best for you in terms of a good starting point like get on Facebook or one of the other places, you know, and meet up groups or whatever and, and go, okay, this group here, this group here would be a better option to start with, you know, like the, the cool thing in our um, city, one of the really good resources we have is um, uh, the women's mountain biking association, Wimbo. I mean, they, um, for any of the new women, mountain bikers who come in and haven't ridden mountain bikes before i always point them in their direction and go hey you can get advice coaching people to ride with etc from this group like and you can start as a total novice and and that's awesome that's such a resource um um but there there's some places where it's trickier than others but i think things are getting better and better you know um there's more and more groups for many years. I felt like there was this void of like not a not a good, solid, cohesive like, um, like, network of of clubs and organizations of of different flavors for different people. You know, so yeah, but it's getting better for sure.
1: Well, and that's one of the things that's it's really fascinating for me. You know, having been here almost twenty years riding, and for me it was very social activity. At some points and others, very, very much just the place to escape and get away. But the crazy thing that I've noticed is how much different, even in the last four to five years, things have been in terms of how connected not only the networks of people, but trails, the new stuff that's being built, how much more people are starting to recognize the Springs as a biking destination, which is, of course, mostly good, a little bad. There's a little of that tension of how do we keep trail interactions positive, positive how do we not get ourselves in a place where it feels too busy hikers are mad whatever
0: sure. and that tension of well yeah but this was my secret spot i love that trail yeah <laughs> yeah i think everyone's got to wrap their head around the fact that this is now getting to be a pretty big city right like mm-hmm. and and with that comes a little bit of that social contract kind of scenario where it's like all right we're all going to be sharing these areas these common you know trails and such and we have to make it a point to be overly courteous to be like um to follow the rules to you know clean up after ourselves all that kind of stuff like make sure we're not thrashing our spaces you know and and not you know throwing up roadblocks to other people doing the same activity from those spaces i mean coming from Southern California down there, there was just crazy fights over the trails. I mean, like Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the trails right near where I lived uh, were closed to bikes completely, you know, and and they were only hikers and horses were allowed or whatever. Um, And and it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. Um, And that's sort of one of those things that um I have a hard time with Strava, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like that's one of those things that like unfortunately I think tends to cause more bad trail etiquette than other things is the whole Strava thing and whatnot, people trying to set PRs on trails. And mm-hmm. it's like, guys, that was cool when this city was like a hundred thousand people. <laughs> yeah. You could do that because you're gonna be the only guy on the trail. But mm-hmm. now, like we kind of have to Come to the realization that like hey you know like be smart you're out on a saturday there's gonna be a lot of people on the trail lots and so you just got to take it easy and know it's going to be you're not going to you know pr some kind of descent you just got to take it easy enjoy just you know having fun and 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 be nice to the other people out there
2: (laughs) yeah yeah. Maybe even go without Strava for a ride or two. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> heresy.
0: Oh, hell, heresy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yo, you know, I, I actually have a Strava account. I've never posted anything on there. Not once. Never once. Not once. Wow. Amazing. Uh yeah. So so I have a couple of people who follow me on Strava and I'm like, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be a pretty boring follow, man. But yeah. uh so yeah.
2: It's a great reminder, though, because we are getting so, so busy and respecting everyone out on the trail is so key. I know up in uh, Jefferson County in Denver, they've started instituting like uh, caps on groups. Um, I I work with the high school league for, for Colorado for mountain biking, and it's a lot of those teams up there have had a lot of trouble um, figuring out how they're going to do practices because they have these huge teams yeah. and they're going to have to like split and do four or five different
0: places. Sure. That's and... crazy. But I mean, I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I totally get it. You know, it's, um, and that's another one of those tough, you know, conundrums in cycling is, is you kind of want to have a lot of people and in, in your group. And so you can network with a bunch of people and ride with a bunch of people and get to know a bunch of people. But, um, but at a certain point, like that many people all of a sudden hitting a trail at once, it's like, ooh, you know, it, it nobody really creates to, a situation.
1: Nobody yeah. wants to stand there for 10 minutes letting the send train go by. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah.
2: yeah. I know Wimba has run into some, some issues with that because they have such an amazing turnout. Oh, yeah. That they can, like, shut down a park when they show up.
0: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Which is yeah. so
2: cool. What an amazing problem to have. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You know, um the bike park that they're gonna be building here, you know, um, I think will will help with some of that. I mm-hmm. think, and obviously the more and more trails we can build, the, it helps people spread out and gives people more places to ride, which is cool. Um, unfortunately that's a slow process and building homes isn't so as much so 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 (laughs) it's one of those things where the city is expanding at a much more rapid pace than we can actually get trails built and stuff so we just have to realize that in the short term we we kind of just gotta be understanding with all the other trail users and and you know make an effort to be cordial and and follow the rules and all the things you know i i take it super serious when i'm riding like my mountain bike anymore i just i i expect i'm gonna stop every you know 100 yards although i never have weekend days off so i so i basically (laughs) i (laughs) I at least am riding weekdays which is a little better you know but even that even still there's so many people out
1: so Well, speaking of being courteous, we want to be careful with your time. We could keep this conversation going, but it's already gotten a bit long. However, we have a couple fun questions to finish up if you've got time for us. Fire away. Let's do it. Well, so one of the things, and we may already know the answer to this, but maybe not. Around here, we play a little game we call Best Day, Worst Day. What just a couple quick memories. The one that stands out for being just, I can't believe I get to do my sport, whether that's in the tri space or on your bike just this was great and then a day that just
0: was awful oh, man. all right okay all right so um best day uh you know i would say i would have to put iceland was up there for mm-hmm. sure yeah it the weather don't get me wrong was was just hard like it was windy like windy windy and rained a lot on the bike and everything so not one of the days that typically you'd be like that was best day ever you know how how cold was that water uh, yeah it was like 57 degrees and and so i mean like it was it was rainy cold windy but scenery was beautiful i just felt pretty good and Mm. then to win like i've I've never won a, a race before, you know, like yeah. and I've finished in second, third, fourth, you know, along yeah, never won. So that was kind of icing. That was definitely probably one of my one of my best days. Um my ooh, my worst day. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> this this is the easier one to think about. Um uh yeah so I Um, the fittest I think I've ever been heading into a race. Like I was primed was, um, I think it was 2011. I was going to go race Ironman Canada. And, um, and so I was ready to race and I was like, just on it. And I showed up and in Canada, that day it was 97 degrees, Ooh. and I got two flats on the bike, and I'm pushing super hard to like try and make up for the time lost there, and like, and the run has no shade, and I just absolutely tanked. Like mm. it was all I could do to like struggle home in that one, and uh just decimated myself. And to top things off, like. I was racing with a kid that I was coaching at the time and his dad um, helped them both get ready for it. And it was their first Ironman race, you know? Mm-hmm. And we were waiting around, his dad comes in finally after a couple hours and the kid did great. Like he bested what his highest, highest goal was, you know, which was great. And I was stoked for him. And, uh his dad comes in and it's late at night at this point and we're just torched and then we can't find the car because you had to park somewhere in this town penticton like in this and we walked three miles around this just trying to find the rental car like we had no idea where we (laughs) parked And we're just walking around, we're just shattered, you know, like, oh, and, yeah. and and cramping everywhere and just like can't find the car. And then I have to drive back to the hotel, which is a 45 minute drive and trying not to go to sleep you know like and instantly they both fall asleep in the car you know i'm just like oh my god (laughs) like just trying to like peel my eyes open like trying not you know because we we were staying on the north side of this huge lake you know that's 50 miles long or something and i was just like oh god can anything get worse we get to the hotel restaurant's closed and i was like oh all right yep that just caps it off oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, it's just one thing after another oh, that's a pretty rough day yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well you know you learn from all these things uh
2: well i i did hear one other thing about you with uh i heard that you might have gotten a, a tattoo for a sock company chem- at one point to get free socks yeah, is that, I did. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: I, I did. I got a Swiftwick logo tattooed on my leg <laughs> at Interbike at the bike trade show. They actually, at the Swiftwick booth, they had a tattoo artist come in and, and they're like, hey, if you want to get this logo, we'll give you free socks for life kind of thing and i was like dude i love these guys socks and i was like sure why not dude when i got home my wife was like what is that it looks like a daffodil <laughs> <laughs> it's like a chick tattoo and i was like oh god well yeah so since that time i did get it get it covered with a different tattoo but yes yeah, <laughs> this. yeah. do you still get free socks if, um, I did take a photo up. of it before I had it covered up. Go. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. every once in a while, I'll just like text the, the Swiftwick guys and be like, "Hey, remember this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing."
2: Uh, talk about marketing.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 No, no, I, right I thought it was a pretty smart idea on their part, but at the same time, I was like, "That's some commitment." Uh, so wow. <laughs> but oh. yeah, yeah, I am kind of a sock snob, um, so they make good socks they do they do yeah absolutely all right
1: well nick like we said we could just keep going but thanks so much for your time today for being on the show yeah thanks Um, for having me yeah we're very excited not only uh to have had this chat but like personally i love the store i love what you guys are doing and it's so much more fun to even hear about some of the other ways that you guys are connected in the community behind other initiatives that are great not only for those of us on the trail but the broader biking community as well
0: yeah thanks Yeah, Uh, really
2: appreciate everything you're doing and have been doing for a long time to support these passions that we we all love.
1: Yeah, and literally I'm headed to your shop this afternoon because I broke a carbon wheel and I (laughs) got to figure out what to do with it. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That that hurts when that happens. Oh, it hurt me as well. Yeah, oh man. Not as much as it hurt the wheel. If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.